Hey, I'm Rachel May, country singer, songwriter, and host of Mama's Cup of Ambition, the podcast for ambitious mamas with big dreams and little kids. Or maybe your kids aren't so little anymore, but your dreams are still just as big as ever. Wherever you find yourself in your motherhood journey, if you've got ambitious goals that you're longing to achieve, and you're looking to spark inspiration, cultivate motivation, and develop community with like-minded mamas, you're in the right place. As a new mama myself, I created this show as a place for honest and empowering conversations about motherhood, entrepreneurship, and dream chasing. So grab a notebook, top off that cup of coffee, and let's turn our goals into action plans and our dreams into reality together. Now let's jump into today's episode. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode number eight of Mama's Cup of Ambition. How's your week been? If you listened to last week's episode, then you know that I talked about slowing down, and that is exactly what I did after that episode dropped. And I have to say, it was a little hard for me to pump the brakes at first, (laughs) but once I just let myself relax into it, I was all in, and I have to say, it was really freaking fun. We spent some quality time on the beach with the pups, made lots of meals together as a family. I got to spend some time with my dad and my sister and brother-in-law and my nephew, and I seriously must have crawled across every square inch of our house with Waylon on the floor. (laughs) And it felt really good to just play for a bit. I feel so recharged. So since last week was all about slowing down, This week, it seemed appropriate to talk about the power of having a hell yes framework, because I think the two things actually go hand in hand. But before we dive into that, let me tell you about something that I've been saying hell yes to quite a bit these days, and that's Instacart. So in this new season of motherhood, one of the things that I've been really working on is accepting help from others and learning to delegate things off of my plate. And that's where Instacart comes in. I love that with just a few clicks from the comfort of my couch, I can easily fill up a cart with all of the things we need to keep our family fueled and fed and have them delivered right to our door in as fast as an hour. Using Instacart to help knock out our grocery shopping has seriously freed up so much extra time in my schedule, allowing me to pour more energy into creating this podcast. And for that, I am so thankful. If you want to free up time in your schedule and experience Instacart for yourself, you can get free delivery on your first order over $35 by using the link in the show description. And when you use my link, it lets Instacart know that I sent you and it helps to fill my cup and keep the show going. So mama to mama, thanks for supporting the show. Okay, back to today's episode. So what is a hell yes framework, you ask? Well, It's actually a strategy that I adopted from Marie Forleo. So I'm an alum of her B-School program, and it's one of the first things that she dives into in the course. She talks about getting yourself a first-class ticket to board the no train by learning to say no deliberately, strategically, and compassionately. So she talks about the importance of giving yourself permission to stop saying yes to things that aren't in alignment with your goals and desires, both professionally and personally. Because every time we say yes to something, we're saying no to something else, since we allocate our time with each yes we dole out. And I don't know about you, but that's something that I've experienced a lot recently as a new mama, that when I say yes to something, I really have to stop and take into consideration how that yes is going to impact my family and Waylon in particular, because time with him is one of the things that I'm saying no to 
when I say yes to something else these days. And sometimes that's a trade-off I'm willing to make, but only if it's for something that is truly in line with the life we're trying to cultivate as a family. Because I've definitely found that I've become a lot more protective of my time in motherhood, and I think that's a good thing for me, really. But Marie points out that it's imperative that we get strategic about our yeses and our noes because they're a critical piece of the puzzle when it comes to mastering follow-through and avoiding living in a constant state of overwhelm. So you can see where the connection here is to last week's episode about slowing down. So in the lesson, she talks about training yourself to say yes to less in order to get more. More time and space, more breathing room, more freedom, more energy to devote to the things that truly matter. And we've already established that I'm a firm believer in guarding your energy, right? So this is where the hell yes framework comes into play. So in order to determine whether something is a yes or a no for you, Marie suggests that we learn to qualify things by asking ourselves this question when presented with any opportunity or request. Is this a hell yes for me? If it's not a hell yes, then it's a hell no. Now, of course, sometimes there are things that we have to do that kind of fall into the bucket of like life maintenance, right? Like I'm not saying, oh, hell yes, I want to get the oil changed. (laughs) But I know that that needs to be done. So I schedule time to do it. That's not what we're talking about here. This framework is for the stuff in our lives where we may or may not be saying yes out of a sense of obligation or guilt. Maybe it's an invitation to a party or an event that you know you don't actually have any desire to attend, but you end up saying yes because you feel bad saying no. Have you ever done that? I'm totally guilty of that one. I heard someone identify themselves recently as a recovering people pleaser, and I was like, oh, snap, me too. Or maybe you're saying yes to an opportunity in your career because you feel like you have to say yes, even when you know it doesn't actually align with your career goals. Again, this has been me on so many occasions. So these are the type of circumstances where that qualifying question can really serve as a compass. Okay, so we're asking, is this a hell yes? That's step one in the process. But there's a step two in this framework as well. And that's to check in with your body when you ask that question. So imagine saying yes to whatever it is you're considering. How does it make you feel? Do you feel expansive? Do you feel excited and happy? Or do you feel retracted? Did it immediately make you feel heavy or feel a sense of dread? This part of the process has been a total game changer for me because my body doesn't play around. If I'm paying attention, I can tell immediately if something is a hell yes for me or not just by how my body responds. But I've got to say, I've ignored my body's red flags so many times and oh Lord, have I paid the price for it. So there's a scenario that instantly comes to mind for me of a time when I ignored one of those retractive feelings and it totally backfired and burned me. But this one actually taught me a pretty valuable lesson in the process. So a few years ago, I got asked to open a show in support of an artist who was coming to town and it was at a venue that I really freaking love. And for this particular show, they had reached out to me because they knew I had a strong local draw and I had an established reputation with them as an artist who worked hard to promote the shows that I was involved in, which were both things that the promoters of this show were in need of. So So when I got the email, I knew in my gut right away that it wasn't a hell yes for me, even though normally I would have jumped at an opportunity to play this venue. But there were a few things here that stood out as red flags to me almost immediately. So in the past, I've opened a lot of shows for Texas artists because 
Often, our audiences overlap really well, and as a result, the folks that I draw out to a show will typically stick around to support the other acts on the bill. And the ability to not just draw, but to also help keep a crowd around is pretty important as a supporting artist. I mean, yeah, you could pack the place for your set and not compel your audience to stick around when your set is over, because I mean, technically, tickets were still sold, but it's just not a great look, especially if you're the support for a touring act. I mean, it's really ideal if you can stack a bill for a show in a way that makes folks excited to stay until the end. Everyone wins in that case, the artist, the audience, the venue. So it's important. And all that to say that with this particular show, I was being asked to play the supporting role for an artist from Texas, which normally would have made sense. But I knew right off the bat that his style of music and mine were a total mismatch. I mean, they really just didn't make sense together. And that was the first red flag for me. But beyond that, what they were offering me as pay, it was a joke. I mean, the payout for the gig was a whopping $50. Okay, $50. (laughs) And this is not my first rodeo. And I am not afraid to say that I'm good at what I do. I pour a lot of energy and effort into preparing for every show I play. And before I even step foot in a venue, I've done so much groundwork to make sure that I'm filling that room and putting on one hell of a show. So I knew that that payout wasn't going to be reflective of the time and work that I'd be investing into this event. And the thing is, when I book a show, compensation is only one factor that I take into consideration. Because sometimes, even if the guarantee a venue is offering is low, I know that in certain circumstances, there are other ways that I can leverage a situation to be worth the work that goes into a live show. For example, maybe I know I can capture some live video or photos for my press kit, or maybe I know I can sell a decent amount of merch or connect with a new group of people to expand my audience. I mean, it comes down to so much more than just the money. And sometimes I'm willing to take a small or non-existent payday for the right show. Although don't get me started on the whole you can play for exposure line that musicians are so often fed because your girl could get on a soapbox on that topic in a big way and I could go down a rabbit hole. (laughs) But at the end of the day, it's called the music business for a reason. And although I love making music so much that I would do it for free, that's not a sustainable way of life. And I just don't buy into the whole starving artist mentality. And as both an artist myself and a patron of the arts, I see the value of art in our society and I see the value in what I create. And since I'm running a business with my music, it's my responsibility to consider the return on investment whenever I consider saying yes to an opportunity. So in this case, that ridiculously low payday was the second red flag because I knew from the email that regardless of how little I was being paid, I would still be expected to pull out all the stops in promoting this show on my end, and I would still be expected to move tickets. And since this was a weeknight show, which for my demographic is not an easy sell, I knew I was going to have my work cut out for me trying to promote this thing because it was a bizarre match musically and it was a weeknight. So I knew it wasn't a hell yes. I mean, everything inside of me was saying, Rachel, politely pass on this one. But then there was this little voice in my head saying, yeah, but they asked you, so maybe you're missing something. Maybe you do make sense on this bill. And that same voice was telling me, if you say no to this, they will probably just stop asking you to play shows altogether. You can't afford to say no. Can we just pause here for a minute and talk about scarcity mindset? I mean, can you relate to that, that feeling of scarcity? Like if you say no to an opportunity, even if you know it's not in alignment with what you're trying to create, that the opportunities will somehow just completely dry up, like suddenly you'll lose all credibility and value if you say no. Why do we buy into that? I mean, seriously, 
I think scarcity mindset is just another form of resistance because when we say yes to things that aren't in line with our highest calling out of fear, we're actually choosing to say yes to playing small because we're afraid to trust our own instincts. So you can guess what happened here, right? I said yes. Even with all of the red flags waving wildly right in my face, I let fear and scarcity get in the driver's seat and I said yes to letting them drive me right off the cliff. (laughs) But I said yes, so I got right to work planning for the show. And you know what happened? Right out of the gates, the venue started writing my ass in my inbox, asking me to outline my promotional plans, which was not something they had ever done before. Because like I said, I had a reputation as an artist who promotes shows well. I didn't need that kind of micromanaging. But ultimately, I think what was happening was the club was just feeling the pressure of a show that was struggling. And since I said yes to this circus against my better judgment, that pressure became my problem too. But I kept it professional and I did my best to ease their worries and I just kept chipping away at my promotional plan. So show day arrives and I had actually convinced quite a few folks to come hang out with me on a weeknight. I was proud of myself. But I turn up at the venue with my guitar and a finely crafted 45-minute set that I was asked to prepare only to be informed when I walked in the door that I was going to need to cut my set down to 20 minutes. Now, again, I had played dozens of shows at this venue and had never had this happen before. And let me just say that I'm not the girl who just finds a Sharpie backstage and draws up a last minute set list. I mean, sure, I can do it because I'm a professional, but because I'm a professional, I'm actually really intentional with how I design my live shows. When folks spend their hard-earned money to come and be entertained, I think that investment deserves to be honored with preparation. So I've got a system for how I craft my shows. But par for the course with this particular event, there I was backstage trying to cut 25 minutes from my show. So what happens next? My sound check. It's scheduled for 6 p.m. And that time would come and go as the other bands tinkered away on stage. And, you know, my guitar and I didn't need much by way of sound check, so I wasn't too worried. I just set up my merch table and waited for my turn. Well, when I finally get my turn to get up there and sound check, I had maybe two minutes at most because the doors were about to open. So it was more of like a gesture than an actual sound check. And when I got up on stage, I was surrounded by so much gear from the other bands that it seriously looked like I was opening a Motley Crue show. It was just awkward and uncomfortable. So I played my awkward, rearranged set, and no one really seemed to notice or mind. But after my set, as the other bands played, my crowd slowly started to piece out one by one, and several of them were coming up to me, telling me that they were leaving because the guys that were playing just weren't really their scene. I mean, my audience was literally vocalizing to me what my initial gut feeling had told me about that show. And at the end of the night, when the bar manager, who knows me well, came to pay me out for my contribution to the show, he opened up the envelope and he thought there was a mistake when he saw my cut. And he said, let me go sort this out. And I had to stop him and say, no, that's what I agreed to. (laughs) So I thanked the sound guy and the bartenders by tipping them out like my daddy taught me to. And when it was all said and done, I walked away that night paying to play that show. That was a come to Jesus moment for me because the way I was treated for that show felt really shitty. 
And you know what? It's like they say, you teach people how to treat you. I knew that show wasn't right for me. And because I didn't listen to my gut instinct, it ended up being a laborious train wreck that cost me money in the end. But you know what? That might have been the best thing that could have happened to me because I walked away from that show more committed to my hell yes framework than I was before. And I share that story to illustrate an example of how much friction we run into when we choose to say yes to things that we know aren't for us. And I could share so many other stories with you where that theory has proven to be true. And I'm willing to bet you could share some stories with me too. And I think it's equally important for us to be protective of our yeses in our personal lives too. I mean, how many times have you said yes to something because you felt bad saying no? But you kind of knew the minute you said yes that it wasn't really something you had interest in. And think of how drained you felt after you did something out of a sense of obligation rather than a true desire to participate. It's not great, right? So why do so many of us do that to ourselves? I'm totally guilty of this. Although, like I said, I'm getting a lot better, especially in this new season of motherhood. And I consider myself to be an introverted extrovert because I'm an introvert to the core, but I can be really extroverted when I need to be. For instance, when I'm working. I mean, if you've ever seen me after a show, then you know that I will float the room and engage with every single person who wants a piece of me until I'm certain that each and every person feels seen because I do truly love connecting with folks. And when someone's come out to a show to support my music, I never want them to leave not knowing just how much that means to me. But as an introvert, after most social interactions, I require an abundance of downtime to decompress because I'm typically energetically drained. And I can justify that use of my energy when it's spent on something that for me is a hell yes, like connecting with folks after a show. But when that energy suck is the result of saying yes to something that is totally out of alignment with what I know I'm meant to be doing, the drain is so intensified and it really just doesn't feel worth it. Can you relate to that? And what I think is so wild here is that when I invite someone to do something and they're honest with me, even if it's an honest no, I respect the hell out of that, don't you? I mean, I'd always much rather be told no than to get a fake yes and be ghosted or bailed out on, wouldn't you? But I often find myself feeling guilty when I'm called to give an honest no, mainly because I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings or disappoint anyone. Remember when I said that I identify as a recovering people pleaser? (laughs) I mean, that state of mind will have you giving out half-hearted yeses like candy on Halloween if you don't have a strategy in place. I can speak to that because that has been me. But I think of how much energy we waste trying to come up with an excuse to get out of something that we agreed to that we knew we didn't really want to do in the first place, or how depleted we've all felt when we've had to trudge through something to honor a commitment that we made, like the commitment I made to that show that I just told you about. But what if instead we chose to honor the commitment of being true to ourselves to begin with, and we made a conscious choice to stop saying yes to things we actually want to say no to? How would that change your life, and how would you show up in the world? For me, it's a radical shift. A challenging one to adopt, but a game changer for sure. So this week, I'd like to challenge you to test drive this hell yes framework for yourself and see how it feels. I'm willing to bet that by adopting this strategy, you'll start to get really clear on what yeses are sacred and where maybe you need to create some boundaries for yourself around saying no. This is definitely something that I'm recommitting to myself and it's totally worth it. But like I said, it's challenging. So let's support each other in this. If you put this into practice this week, please share it 
with me over on Instagram. Or maybe you're already a master of this strategy, in which case I'd love to know what works for you. How do you decide if something is a hell yes or a hell no? Let's connect over on Instagram and continue the conversation. You can find me at Rachel May Music, that's May with an E. And if you want to connect with the show, just search for Mama's Cup of Ambition. And I'll link to both of those in the show description as well. So I'm going to wrap things up for today. But before I do, I just want to let you know that I've been working behind the scenes over here booking some amazing guests that I'm really freaking excited to feature on this show. And I'm super excited that I'll have some interview episodes for you here soon. There's just a lot of moving parts when it comes to coordinating recording schedules with guests. So those episodes are coming together a bit slower. But I promise they're coming and they will be well worth the wait. And in the meantime, I'm just going to keep cranking out these solo episodes and sharing a bit more of my life with you. And I hope that you're down with that. I mean, I'm going to assume that you are since you're here listening to this. (laughs) But since my vision for the show is to talk to ambitious mamas making it happen, I just wanted to keep you in the loop with what's going on behind the scenes and let you know what to expect as the show continues to unfold. Okay, so until next time, may your dreams be ambitious. And may your coffee be strong. And may we all honor our yeses and our noes with authenticity. Hell yes. I'll talk to you soon.